Hey, Trojan fans, welcome back to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. Got a good show for you this week. We're going to mix it up, not just quarterbacks. We got Shane Foley, uh, former USC quarterback, will be joining us the first second. We're going to have Lawrence Jackson, former USC defensive end, is going to join us in the second segment. He's he's a wordsmith. He's got a lot of cool things to say about what's going on with USC football, so we're going to bring him on the show. It should be a lot of fun, but we're going to start off, of course, with our our resident armchair quarterback, Shane Foley. What's going on, Shane? How you doing? Hey, Ryan. Great to be back on. Good uh, good week to be able to talk about it this week. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Wow, it's a kind of an impressive, not a kind of, a very impressive win from USC. And just before we uh, jump into that, just want to let people know you can follow Shane on Twitter at ShaneFoley underscore USC, or you can go to ShaneFoley.com and read his Fuller report, which is interesting. It actually came out, I think it came out, is it early this week, Shane? A little early. We had a Friday game, so was able to get it done early, which was good. Nice, yeah. So we can talk about uh, some of the stuff you wrote in that a little bit on the show, sure. which is good. Um, and I guess I, I guess we can start off with that. One of the, the first things you wrote in there was about uh, setting the tone. And uh, Soma Vanuka with a big hit on special teams and sort of took the crowd out of it with you know, the first play of the game with the big hit. And I think Ed Orgeron mentioned this, too. Uh, during the uh, his conference call on Sunday, that he mentioned that as well. Some of Anuku played well, and that was a a big you know it's a tone setter for the team seeing that hit happen and and really starting them off on the right foot. Well, it does that. It does just that, Ryan. And so when you've got a guy that comes out on a on a kickoff play like that, comes down and blows people up, certainly you. You know, you think about the safety. You know, football is a collision sport, but he came down and just drilled a guy. It was a clean hit and uh, knocked the guy really out uh, just about. And so I think that really just sets the tone for a game, takes the life out of a stadium, uh, gets your guys fired up. And you get, when you see a guy coming down with that kind of just that kind of heart and just laying a guy out cleanly and uh, playing tough football, it really just sets the tone for the game. And I think uh, Coach O talked about it. I think that's something that uh, you've seen consistently with Vanuku playing great uh, on special teams, making big plays. And so it's good to see him get off, uh, get us off to a great start. I wanted, you know, before we jump in, we always talk about offense and quarterbacks and defense and stuff. But I wanted to talk about the special teams uh, a little bit. I think you had some positive things to say about it in the Fuller report. And one of the things that I've and and it's, I guess it's ironic. Uh, you know, we had you got to see Josh Shaw. He was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week. The first time a USC skill position player has has won that this year. No offensive players have won it. No other defensive players have won it. And the only special teams player to win it was the punter Chris Alvarado. And I remember talking to uh, John Baxter, the special teams coach, and he was praising what Alvarado was doing. They're not trying to have him boom these punts, you know, 50 yards in the air and 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 get a lot of hang time. They're really kind of kicking low squibbers and trying to get decent field position out of it. But to me, I, I've always – I don't say it's a bad feeling in my mouth or a bad taste in my mouth, but it seems like to me that the punting game has not been up to snuff. And there seems to be – other people seem to disagree with that. Maybe I'm just looking at this wrong. But I wanted to get your opinion on what the USC punting game has been looking like and special teams in general, you know, especially from this game. Well, great. Yeah, great to talk about special teams. John Baxter, obviously, has uh, done a tremendous job in his tenure as a special teams coach, and good to see these guys playing better, actually, this year than they have last year um, overall. Chris Alvarado, I think, is a really more of a surgeon or a sniper, if you will. I mean, he's placing the ball in certain areas of the field, uh, placed two more balls inside the 20 this week, had one fair catch. Not as much hang time you're seeing on a lot of the punts because he is trying to place the uh, ball down. He, he does a lot of the time have very good roles, fortuitous roles, and uh, backing uh, the other team up. So I think he's been a very uh, strong point, I think, that Coach Baxter has talked about this year. So it's it's great to see what he's doing, even if he's not really trying to boom punts and, and a lot of hang time, playing field position football, you know, by punting it down in their end zone. He doesn't typically use the corners a lot, which is interesting. He's not, you know, def- definitely trying to pin the ball inside the 10-yard line by going to the corners, but he tends to punt a lower punt uh, with that role that he gets that has been uh, working very well for him. I think on the punt return side, I think Nelson Aguilar, uh, when he's healthy, is the best guy back there. I know they tried Marquise Lee early. I don't think he excels in the punt return game. I think Aguilar has the feel for the game, uh, catching the football, making some moves early. Um, you know, he took some hits on that, didn't have a lot of opportunity to get a lot of returns uh, in that game, but we've seen what he can do against Notre Dame. And a couple of, you know, a couple of other games this season. So I think he's the guy back there. Uh, Padari getting back on track, I think, is good. Hitting that 34-yarder in this game uh, 
hitting four last week. I mean, I think that's that bodes well. You know, he's got to be on his game going into November. I think it's going to be important for him to be consistent and to be hitting uh, hitting field goals, especially you know in these big games that we've got uh, forthcoming. So I think that's great. The, the one thing we don't see much of is you know you see a lot of the other teams putting balls, you know, kicking balls off into the end zones and getting a lot of touchbacks. We don't see a lot of that uh, from Fedari. And um, I don't know. It seems to me that when he was a freshman, he did more of it. He's had that that knee issue that he had last year coming back from it doesn't seem like his leg's been quite as strong, at least on kickoffs. He did have that 52-yarder earlier in the season, which was a very strong, <laughs> a very strong leg. But uh, So I think all in all, on, on balance, I think the uh, special teams is coming around. You're seeing a lot of guys making plays. You know, Rob Dooley, he was a guy that I had to look up his name, to be quite honest. You know, walk on uh, safety number 44, I had mentioned him in the Foley Report, you know, getting down, hustling. And I think it really talks a lot about what Coach O preaches, you know, having guys that are given opportunities to step up. You know, when a guy gets hurt, when a guy can't play, having the next guy step up and make plays. We are thin, we know that. Having 45, 48 guys on scholarship, so other guys are having to step up and make plays, and that's what they've been able to do. And, and uh, it, it showed itself also on special teams. You know, the punting stuff, I don't know why I've just had such a a thing with this, but it seems like, yeah, I think if USC's around the 50-yard line and you're punting, he's he does an excellent job of pinning guys inside the 20. I mean, there's only been a handful, I mean, a couple of touchbacks maybe, I mean, one or two, or maybe only one, I'm not sure. But yeah, it does seem like if you're punting, yeah. yeah, but if you're punting from your own 20, it seems like you're getting the same kind of 35-yard-ish punt, where in that case, you'd like to see the sort of booming fair catch punt where you get net 48 yards or something out of it. And that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, and I don't know uh, about that. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you're seeing more of these punts uh, like you're talking about. I mean, kind of line drive punts that are getting a roll and, and not giving these guys the opportunity. And I'm not sure what Coach Baxter's thought is on that. I mean, he is oftentimes, as you said, even when he's in the open field, not trying to pin a guy in there. He is still punting the ball low and, and uh, kind of punting it in front of the returner and uh, kind of getting that roll and getting down there and covering. So I'm not sure. That's a tactic that uh, Coach Baxter could probably uh, talk more about. Um, but we are not seeing booming punts, you know, with high hang time and getting down and, uh, you know, a lot of fair catches, you know, because of that. So uh, I think it just seems to be a very specific tactic. I mean, this guy obviously was recruited to come to SC. I'm sure, you know, he could uh, go after more of a hang time type of a punt if that's what his focus was. But I think that's probably a tactic that uh, Coach Baxter is probably working with him on. Yeah, it seems like. All right, well. No, normally don't start to show off with special teams, but I just want to. Hey, do. I like, like covering the whole thing. It's so <laughs> good. We do it all. Well, okay, let's go switch over to the offensive side of the ball. And if uh, anyone goes to shanefoley.com and they read the Foley report, uh, first thing off, you've got to mention, I mean, you're a quarterback, but you have to mention yeah. the running game. That's really what set the tone for USC on offense right. against, uh, against Oregon State. Well, it was. And, uh, hey, quarterback, I don't care what position you play, the game's won and lost up front. And to have a big, strong physical line uh, getting it done is something we've been lacking. You know, last year uh, we were really not getting it done uh, consistently um, up front. This year we've had a lot of patchwork moving guys around. Uh, as we know, uh, Graf was out this last game. Turk uh, played at right tackle. I think he did a very good job. Andre Walker stayed at guard. Marcus Martin at center. And Martinez, you know, playing at left guard. Uh, and Chad Wheeler playing left tackle. So uh, and then Gertler, you know, is a guy that they've come in and I think utilized him successfully, you know, getting on a uh, hat on a hat and playing physically as well. But I think these guys really, for the first time, came together, even though these guys haven't been playing together the whole, the whole season. I thought they did a really excellent job getting off the ball, playing good, tough physical football. They didn't win every battle, but for the most part, they were sealing guys off. They were getting on second blocks, hitting linebackers. Receivers were downfield blocking. It just seemed like the effort and the intensity and the desire was there. The pad level, for the most part, was good. They were getting low. A couple times, these guys were high. Martinez was high on a, on a deal where he got stuffed uh, with his pad level too high. But these guys, you know, definitely uh, showed more desire. Andre Walker, you know, certainly uh, – you know, he's got to clean up the, the penalties. He had another procedure penalty and a holding penalty. But it was his best game blocking as a Trojan. And so to see him uh, really play with the aggressive uh, style that he played with and desire, uh, getting on linebackers, sealing off blocks, creating holes, uh, it really – 
it really is going to bode well for us going, you know, forward here. You know, this week up at Cal, you know, we got to get this game coming back. It's one at a time, I know, Ryan, but uh, Stanford, we know about their front seven and what they can do. And so uh, focus on Cal, but this is uh, the right time to have our offensive line hitting on all cylinders and, uh, and playing. And, and just, to, you know, again, just a, a kind of a shout-out to these guys. Uh, really, I think, communicating well. That starts up front with the center, and I think Marcus Barton uh, is really owning the position uh, at the center position. They're doing a great job, and uh, just seeing these guys step up and play was uh, was, was, was encouraging. The, uh, talk about the quarterback play a little bit um, with uh, Cody Kessler. You were, a, you were an athletic quarterback. You were a guy that could take off and run yeah. when you had to. Um, I know Cody Kessler has the wheels. I mean, he can do it. He's an athletic kid. Uh, we are not seeing a lot of that. I don't know if you've you've noticed that in your evaluations or what you think of. Uh-huh. Do you think that's uh-huh. part of the game plan that he shouldn't, or is he not seeing the the opportunities to run? Or what do you think's going on there? Well, I think each game's different, and so I think uh, with Cody, uh, he's he's definitely made progress. You know, there's been a lot of detractors. I've talked a little bit about that in the folder report last week. You know, a lot of people that just so aren't sold on him. But I think, you know, all in all, he's making strides. He was 17 to 21. He came back, uh, had a very, you know, had a poor pass on the interception that he threw. Whether there was a miscommunication or not with Aguilar, uh, was underthrown and late. And so, and, and across the field, <laughs> which are three things that don't really play together very well. But, you know, shaking that off and coming back with the determination and, and really Really leading the Trojans on that 10-play drive that took the momentum back and, and, and really put USC in command for the rest of the game, he stepped up. And so he finished 17-21. to wasn't a perfect game. I think one of the things that he needs to do a better job of in his development is decisiveness. You know, sometimes he gets back there. He doesn't feel the pressure uh, as much as he should be. He is a guy that's not going to run away from defensive backs, but he does have the athleticism and the, and the quickness. I wouldn't say speed from what I can see, but the quickness to get a field and pick up five yards, seven yards, 10 yards here and there. So I think that's the type of thing when we did see him bust a, you know, I think it was a 35 or 40 yard run earlier in the season, but you know, by and large, you just want to be a guy that knows the damn and distance knows what he needs playing smart football and being decisive and you know when you've got your read progression you know whether you're reading right or left or the full field and scanning and taking a look at it you've got to know what you're seeing get the ball out of your hand and if you feel the pocket collapse you've got to be able to step away from pressure whether that's stepping to the side and stepping up and making a throw buying yourself a little bit of time or if there's outside pressure you've got to be able to step up if you've got a lane to scramble toward the line of scrimmage and get back to it pick up two or three yards and so that's one of the things that you don't see enough of him doing on a consistent basis is really feeling that pressure, stepping away from it or stepping up in the pocket and, uh, and also getting rid of the football. There are times, you know, obviously when you're going to have to get rid of the football and uh, you need to get the ball out of your hand and, and get it uh, safely out of bounds so nobody can make a play on it. But the, those are the types of things that he's going to need to continue to get better at. And uh, that's going to be important for him to, to do that, uh, you know, over the next uh, four games. What did you think of the uh, play calling? I definitely thought it was interesting going for big plays at the beginning of each half and um, you know, obviously going with the run quite a bit, but mixing in the you know some of the deeper passes and stretching the field a little more. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you felt Clay Helton did as a play caller. Yeah, it's good. I didn't touch a lot on Coach Helton. I did, I did talk about uh, some of the plays and some of the different things that took place during the game of the Fuller Report, but I didn't talk specifically about Coach Helton. I think he called a very good game. I think that uh, let's start back up a little bit with personnel because we had Trey Madden, uh, who played early in the game. It looked like his hamstring was still bothering him, came out early, but really made a firm decision to get uh, Buck Allen, DeVorius uh, Buck Allen in the football game. And so, you know, to really see him and, uh, you know, Silas obviously hitting the ball very well, running for 140 yards and, and doing what he did. But I think it's a testament to the coaches, uh, Coach Helton and, and uh, Coach Robinson, uh, Tommy Robinson, to, to have the – to have – Buck Allen in the offense and to be playing in the offense and involved. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, overall, I think stretching the field, I think they're t- they did a good job taking a look at tendencies of what Oregon State would see. Uh, Marquise Lee looked, uh, you know, as I talked about in the Foley Report, looked the best to me that I've seen since last year. And some of that may be health, but I, I think that, you know, catching that ball on the first 
uh, on the first play from scrimmage was huge, kind of a pick play, and got him open in the middle of the field and made a great, beautiful catch and uh, got him back on track. But it was a couple of the other plays that were shorter plays, you know, 10, 12-yard gains that really were the plays that made me think, okay, look, this guy's back to, you know, playing the way he is capable of playing with the moves, with the explosiveness, attacking a defense. And that's some of what we have not been seeing is, you know, kind of that attacking style and uh, playing smart, but, 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 you know, really, you know, the cutting and, and the quickness uh, that's been missing from him. So it was good to see him back. And so I think, you know, overall, Coach Hilton, I thought, did a great job of mixing uh, mixing it up. And I think when they really, uh, when the Trojans needed to take control of the game and really focus on the toughness in the trenches and, and, and really riding the backs of that big offensive line that was getting it done, they did. You know, as evidenced by that 10-play drive, they ran the ball eight times. You know, behind Silas Red a lot of the time, you know, Buck Allen uh, cast it in there, uh, scoring on the touchdown run. But I think really mixing those guys up, complimenting each other, doing a very good job on that, and uh, calling some, some, you know, short, controlled passes and moving the chains. Uh, you know, as you know, I talk a lot in the full report about third-down conversions. I mean, that's the biggest down in football. It's very, very important. And we were 50%, 7-14, which was a big, big turnaround. And, and I think that just really goes a long way to the play calling, but also the execution that you had up front and, and uh, you know, with the receivers getting open as well. Uh, one last thing on the offense. Uh, there was a pick six, and you mentioned when I was talking to you before uh, we went on the air. There's Cody Kessler's third touchdown to the other team. Third. Yeah, not a great stat. <laughs> but what did, what did you think happened on that play? Well, you know, it's important to kind of analyze that. I mean, and I will I will defend him on the previous two. You know, the one against Washington State, Marcus Martin earlier in the season got beat one-on-one, and it was really kind of a lookout block, and he threw that pass blindly. Uh, you know, fast forward to uh, the Arizona State wheel route. You know, he had, uh, you know, he had a guy in his face on that play, too. That doesn't is not an excuse to <laughs> throw the ball blindly or make an ill-advised throw, but those were different. I mean, in this game right here, you know, he rolled right. He was kind of rolling to the right and, uh, you know, in the pocket, but stepped to the right and then threw back. I mean, it was a design pass. It looked like to kind of threw it back across the field, but you're throwing that ball late and you're underthrowing it. Now, whether or not, um, you know, whether or not Aguilar needed to come underneath, that's kind of looked like what what they were arguing about, and he seemed to be pretty hot and pretty fired up about it. But he didn't go underneath, whether or not he did or not. You've got to be able to see that play. And if you're going to throw the ball late across the field and underthrow it uh, with having guys that make opportunities to, to catch it, you've got to put it high and wide and outside where only your guy can have a chance to make that play. It's a very dangerous pass, first and foremost, and I think one that uh, Coach Hilton will utilize as a uh, teachable moment to really have him, uh, you know, hopefully kind of rein that in and, and, and probably not call that play again, <laughs> but, but also to uh, to throw it away when it's not there and, and just keep, throw the ball in a place where, you're, where your receiver has a chance to make it. I guess the one good thing about that play was that it did kind of, you know, momentum was going USC's way, then kind of shifted back. But it, USC bounced back pretty quickly after that. They didn't, you know, give up anything else. And it, it seemed like even though something really bad happened, it made it look like, you know, doom and gloom is potentially around the corner. Yeah. There wasn't any doom and gloom. They just turned things around and they, they kind of kept their composure. It was refreshing, Ryan. You know, you and I have both seen games either, you know, at the stadium or just watching a game where you feel the momentum change. And uh, that, as we know, has been a very tough place first to win. Hadn't won up there since 2004 and uh, lost the last three straight. So, been some tough losses and have only really won once back there since 1997. So it hasn't really, even though historically uh, we've pounded Oregon State over you know over the series, it's been a tough place in the last decade. And so going up there and, and seeing and feeling that momentum turn, you know, they put that uh, quick drive together, throw the ball over Seymour when he you know fell down and to their uh, to their superstar Brandon Cooks, you know, and then that play turning it around on the you know really the next play from uh, you know from the line of scrimmage and next thing you know it's 14-14 and so I think that's the kind of situation where the Trojans could have gone in the tank they could have you know pointed fingers they could have gotten frustrated but it's a testament to the coaches and the belief these guys have in each other right now Ryan and so to see these guys get pissed off and say hey 
this isn't gonna this is not gonna continue. You know, and to see that offensive line fired up and get those guys moving and going, you know, and again, those guys uh, riding on their backs and, and putting a ten play drive together and uh taking the momentum back and just taking control of the game and seizing control of that football game was huge. And so I think that's really what we saw. Uh with that it was really the the, the drive of the game. And hopefully what will uh, turn into be the drive of the season because, you know, obviously with Coach O now 3-0 in the conference, 3-1 and overall with a tough loss out at Notre Dame, he's got these guys believing, Ryan. It is a different football team, and it was the eight-game season that he's talking about. Now it's, uh, you know, now it's uh, down to November football. And so I think, you know, I think it's just a big, uh, big testament to seeing what these guys, where, they're, where they were, where, you know, where they came from and where they are now. And to put that drive together, I think, uh, you know, it's really going to be a big drive for us the rest of the year. Um, well, I want to talk about the defensive side of the ball, too. Sure. I mean, certainly, Sean Mannion and what Oregon State's been doing on offense after, you know, that initial hiccup to start the season, they've just been throwing the ball over the field, wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, from this USC defense, really only gave up that one touchdown. We you mentioned uh, right. Kevon Seymour fell down there. What, what did you think about the USC defensive effort? Well, I thought it was a you know it was a heck of a job. I mean, it was a rock solid you know tough football game. Uh, you're going in there uh, against a quarterback that's had a lot of successes here: 30 touchdowns and three interceptions, thrown for the most yards in the country. And uh, so I think going into the game it was a big challenge. Brandon Cooks, the, the top you know receiver, 13 touchdowns catching, and you know uh, leading in yards in the country. So the the you know, most uh, prolific uh, pass uh, receiver uh, and, and quarterback in the country going into this game. And so I think that we answered the bell. You know, Coach O talked about answering the bell. You know, rising to the challenge of of you know getting it done. And so I think these guys did. I think they came in. You know, the defensive line. Um, you know, it all starts up front. You know, again, the best pass defense is a great pass rush. I know it's cliche, but it's true. And so I think uh, seeing what Devon Kennard needs to be uh, given special mention, you know, seeing him come in and uh, play the, the way he did that beautiful spin move that he got, the two sacks. Uh, Leonard Williams was a force, uh, even though he didn't have as many tackles this week. Uh, I think Uko and Woods, you know, both complimented him inside. So I think those guys are doing well. J.R. Tobai, I think, continues to uh, do a very, very good job uh, in replacement of, of uh, Breslin, who, you know, hopefully is coming back soon and these guys will be able to rotate. Uh, I think it's been, a, you know, one of the big surprises is how well, you know, uh, J.R. Tobias come in and, and performed at such a high level, which has been great. But uh, I think the pass defense, you know, we've talked about it, Ryan, and you've heard me talk about it for, for months. Yeah, really, after the Hawaii game, I said uh, that Josh Shaw needed to move back to corner. And so uh, I think that was something that uh, they had done a little bit of, moved him back to safety. He's more of a natural safety size-wise. But it really changes the entire dynamic of the football team. You and I talked about it a year ago. Uh, the beginning of last year when Isaiah Wiley was out, and I said, you know what, that's going to be a problem. You know, that corner, you know, when he came in last year, I'm, <laughs> I'm going back a little bit, but it's important to make the point. Isaiah Wiley came in during basically the Notre Dame game and changed the season for them down the stretch last year. They didn't have a vulnerable corner back that they were picking on anymore. Same thing with this year. You know, obviously uh, we've had some injuries there. Anthony Brown got hurt. Uh, you know, Torn Harris has had his ups and downs. But, you know, really having Josh Shaw come into his own, playing corner, taking away the right side of the, of the field, you know, having Kevon Seymour continue to grow and, and uh, make strides doing what he's doing. He did get burned uh, on that play, you know, to a good receiver and one-on-one coverage. But he answered the bell and came back and had a pick the return 17 yards later in the game. So I think we're going to be great there. Uh, you know, seeing Demetrius Wright, you know, who's a guy that's been in the system a long time. He's a seasoned veteran. I think he's a guy that's going to step up and be able to make plays. I don't think we lose a lot. It's about having the best 11 guys on the football, on the field. And you've heard me say that uh, again and again. That is what we've done with Josh Shaw at corner and bringing Demetrius right in at safety. Uh, you know, with Sua Cravens out, we had Liam McQuay the third. you know, come in um, – you know, did did some good things, but uh, had some some problems too. You know, we we were very lucky on that play action pass that Manny didn't hit his target, which was uncharacteristic of him uh, overthrowing that pass. So, you know, that was one where he had a couple of steps on McQuay, and then obviously the uh, true freshman mistake and the stupid mistake, you know, hitting the guy out of bounds, and uh, you know, Coach O pulled him right after that and used used it as a teachable moment, but. You know, I think it's a uh, situation where you know, defensive backfield, uh, defensive line, 
played very well, only giving up one touchdown. You know, getting to the linebackers, Hayes Ballard, uh, I think you know, I mean, I think he is the heart and soul of this team. You know, I think uh, calling the defenses, you know, really uh, interfacing with these guys, he's been really kind of the, the steady guy that's been there uh, time and time again. And I think seeing the other linebacker position with Lamar Dawson out, I mean, Anthony Sorrow, you saw uh, Quinn Powell in there. Um, playing as well. Some good things. Um, I think Sorrow is the guy that I'd be uh, kind of leading with. Um, Quentin Powell, you know, as we know, is a, is a true freshman. Um, had that one play where a guy got kind of up, up into him and uh, didn't use his hands to really keep him away and uh, running back picked up 11 yards. So I think all in all on balance, it was a heck of a win. Uh, second game in a row where we've intercepted three passes and uh, no no touchdowns given up in the second half for three straight weeks. So, you know, I think those are all huge stats. And, uh, you know, I think we're doing a lot in a lot of categories on the defensive side of the ball, and we're going to need all of those uh, going forward here. Yeah, to me, the, the impressive part was that it wasn't a hobbled quarterback. It wasn't a, a backup quarterback. This was a quarterback on the top of his game playing at home, yeah. and USC found a way to rattle him. To me, that was the most impressive thing. Well, I think Stanford really showed us the blueprint, showed Coach Pendergast the blueprint blueprint the week before. You know, they sacked him eight times, but even though we only had two sacks, we got in his face a lot, and we hit him a lot. They talked about it on the telecast, you know, when I rewatched the football game. You know, we got in his grill a lot and uh, got him out of his rhythm. I think any great quarterback, you know, as great as they may be, if you're getting hit and you're getting pressure on him, you know, knocking him off his off his game, get him out of a rhythm. That's how you can affect a, a great passer. And I think that's what SC did. Uh, the Trojans definitely answered the bell. They played tough physical football, stopped the, uh, you know, stopped the run at the, at the point of attack in the interior part of the line. They, there were a few runs that they gave up kind of on the edge. Uh, I think, you know, again, going back to diagnosing plays, there were a couple times, you know, as aggressive as our defense is getting upfield, we are susceptible to screens. You know, when you, you get upfield that quickly and that aggressively, you know, uh, it's it's important to be able to uh, kind of diagnose when that uh, lineman's get you know, getting that first block and then letting you go. Um, I think, you know, you have to be able to diagnose. I think Hayes Plard did a good job. I think, uh, you know, Anthony Cesaro has done a good job, and so has J.R. Tavai. There were a couple times where we uh, didn't diagnose it as well, um, where we may have overrun that a little bit, but uh, a couple of plays where where uh, Hayes Plard really diagnosed it and shut those uh, screens down. And one last thing, I know we got to let you go. Um, for Cal, not a very good team this year, and uh, I thought, you know, Sonny Dykes would do some better things. It's going to probably take them a little while. They got a you know a freshman quarterback and stuff like that. But is there is there a potential for any letdown from USC going up to, to Cal? Obviously, a lot of momentum on USC's side, but this isn't a very good team, and this is a team that USC really should handle with ease. Well, you know that's the uh, that's really the responsibility, and the onus of the uh, the coaching staff. I mean, these guys. Uh, the, the coaches have to get these guys up. These are games that you have to win. And, uh, you know, really not playing down to the level of competition. I, I would hope and expect these guys to go in and play great football because it's been quite a long time when these guys have really kind of had a swagger and had this kind of confidence and had this kind of energy going that I think they'd want to continue it because it feels good. I mean, it feels great to go out there and run the football, to play physical football, to have confidence that you're going to go in and get stops and make plays and, and uh, just play a, put a, a great brand of football out there. So I think these guys should be fired up. I expect them to go out and really take care of business. You know, Goff, uh, true freshman, big kid, 6'4", 205, um, you know, they throw the ball a lot. Sonny Dykes, uh, that's that's what he does. We talked a little bit about it earlier with Fresno State before we were on air. You know, these guys, uh, they're going to throw the ball 60, 70 times. I mean, however many times they have the ball, uh, they're going to be putting it up uh, the whole time. So, you know, again, I think it's going to come down to the defensive line, you know, really uh, getting pressure on that quarterback, making mistakes. I feel a lot better with Josh Shaw at corner. Not sure if Sue Cravens is coming back uh, this week or not. But I think that, uh, by and large, I think we're getting a rotation of guys, and you're seeing what the coaching staff's doing. You're seeing Jabari Ruffin in there. You know, you're seeing Quentin Powell in there. 
you're seeing guys rotate in, getting reps, getting opportunities because they know, you know, they need to have these guys all playing at high levels because when one guy goes down, another guy steps up. And that's what Coach O's been preaching. That's what they're going to have to do. You know, in this game, it's a 12 o'clock kick. you got to take them out of the game early and uh, get guys more playing time. And I think, uh, I think on the offensive side of the ball, you know, really being able to control the line of scrimmage that they did, they need to continue building on that. You know, again, not looking forward, but we all know, you know, what Stanford front seven looks like they're big mean and tough and this is another uh, opportunity to get better and, and uh, you know to really get your team hitting all cylinders going into uh, some tough uh, football games all right well Shane great stuff really appreciate you coming on the uh, armchair quarterback podcast and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again next week after the Cal game yeah absolutely thanks for having me on Ryan and we'll talk soon all right sounds good everyone else back in uh, 30 seconds we're going to talk with former USC Trojan defensive end Lawrence Jackson you are listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We're back here on the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. Let's go away from the quarterbacks for a little bit. Well, let's talk to a guy on the defensive side of the ball. One of my favorite players ever covering that I got to cover at USC, Lawrence Jackson, pride of Inglewood High School. What's going on, Lawrence? How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem, and uh, thanks for coming on. If you want to follow Lawrence on Twitter, he's LowJackson94, at LowJackson94. And apparently you have a, a blog coming up pretty soon. Yeah, um, I've been working on the blog. Um, it was very spotty for the last year and a half, and I think that with all the free time that I'm doing, it's allowing me to uncover different aspects of who I am, uh, parts of me that I was searching for for a long time, and I think that um, it's time to really get a good blog going and document kind of what's going on in my life and what, what's driving me and which direction I'm going in and, things on a daily basis that I see that I feel are worth talking about. In it. And also I think that one of the things that I will be doing is sort of like in college, writing a paper on a specific topic and, and posting that on a blog as well. Um, I just feel like it's something that uh, my heart is pushing me towards. Well, that sounds very cool. And you're, you're always one of the more interesting guys to, talk about it with your, you know, talk about different philosophies that you had. And I can't believe the, So for people who don't know, Lawrence uh, played defensive end at USC, um, was a first round draft pick by the uh, Seahawks in 2008. Wow. That was 2008. I can't believe it was that long ago. You were <laughs> yeah. in school, but you were, you were, yeah, you were around when we were first starting to do the video interviews. You were like our kind of go-to guy. I don't know if you remember that, but we used to do, we had, Hey Lawrence, can you do a video interview? We're like back when we were just getting started in the, the mid 2000s. Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was always fun, though. Um, well, I wanted to talk about, I know that you were on uh, Trojans Live a couple weeks ago, like Jordan Moore and, and Ed Orgeron, a bunch of people that do the uh, the school does a, a show once a week. And uh, I liked your your analysis and stuff, what was going on there. So I wanted to bring you on the show and get a kind of different perspective of what's going on with this uh, USC football team. And then I want to talk, you know, we'll talk a little bit later on, too, about what you, you plan on doing uh, with your career and stuff going forward. But um, obviously it was a big win uh, Friday night. You know, USC's not used to playing on, on Friday nights there, so it was a lot of weird stuff going on. I know you've Corvallis is not an easy place to play, but wanted, wanted to get your overall thoughts of the, the win that USC had up there against Oregon State. You know, I think that anytime you can go on the road uh, in a tough environment in a situation like Friday where it's the day before, um, you really have to focus and, and cool in all the little details so you can come out victorious. And I know there's also been a lot of on-the-field but off-the-field distractions with Kiffin and fire, Coach Argeron uh, being the interim head coach and rumors going around about potential head coaches and different things like that. That's something that can play on the psyche of the players. Uh, guys become uncertain 
as to, you know, where they stand with the program going forward. You know, guys think about transferring. Um, there's also guys that are happy because they probably felt like they got the short end of the stick under the, the Kiffin regime, and they're looking forward to the opportunity to show what they have. But to go through all that and um, stay focused and get a win at Oregon State was huge because, you know, even when I was, you know, at SC, um, Oregon State under Mike Rowley, uh, they really, you know, they should have beat us a couple of years, but we were a little bit more talented than, than they were. But um, they had a great game plan against us every year, and it pushed us to, to our limits. And I wouldn't be, you know, caught off guard if the players um, felt the same way with their game. As far as the defense goes, uh, I mean, this USC defense has really held a lot of teams in check. You know, the one or two scores a game, it seems like. There was a couple that were – you know, Arizona and Arizona State, for whatever reason, put up a lot of points. But for the rest of the schedule, it's really been dominated by the defensive side of the ball. And I was curious what would happen this week because the last couple of weeks when USC turned it around defensively, you know, one, uh, you know, Reese went down against Notre Dame, you know, quarterback gets hurt. Another one, you have a, a quarterback that has a hand injury and, you know, they, they kind of rattled him. But this was a, you know, Sean Mannion in full form, and he's been on fire. And the fact that USC was able to limit them to one score was really impressive from from what I saw. Yeah, I think that a big part of it is mindset and attitude. And um, when you have a guy like Ed you know, leading the, the leading the battle song, I think guys fall in line. He's a fiery, tough, aggressive guy. And, um, you know, I also think that the last couple of weeks allowed them to you know, get their confidence where it needs to be and getting in the groove of being a successful defense and knowing that, hey, you know, we could get this done. Arizona State was just an abomination of, you know, what they're building and what they're capable of. And I think that to, you know, have two successful weeks back-to-back um, was a good thing for those for those guys. But to come out and play a hot team like Oregon State with a quarterback of that caliber and to prove, you know, not only to people on the outside, but to validate the the growth that they've been making the past couple of weeks, um, that has to be a tremendous boost of confidence to not only the team, but, you know, to the defense at large. Now, the when they brought in Clancy Pendergast, it, it changed the scheme, and it's always been a 4-3, and uh, you played in that at USC. You saw a lot of your friends play in that. Clancy changed it to a 5-2, you know, 3-4, whatever you want to call it. Um, what do you think of the new style? Do you, do you like that? And what, what you know how the how the USC defense has changed under Clancy Pendergast? You know, it, it's difficult to watch at times from the, the standpoint of you know you you're used to a certain style of play. I think the equivalent would be to witness our offense change to a read option type of wow. uh, scheme. I think that um, you know for you know, players who played there, it kind of has that contrast. But also, you know, people forget under Pete, 2006 and 2007, uh, we sort of ran a 3-4. It was a version of what he's running out in Seattle now. Um, you know, I usually been a five technique and a six technique. There were many times where, you know, I was playing three technique uh, that year. And Cush and, and Clay, um, Kyle Moore, Everson, those guys were, you know, playing that the outside stand-up position. So, I mean, on one hand, it's not that big of a surprise, but to be, you know, that all the time and that be your identity as a defense, as an alumni, it, you know, it's just a contrast. But, you know, you have to be able to grow with the game, and I think that's what they're doing. Um, now, the the head coaching change this year was obviously the big news. And uh, to see a guy like Ed Orgeron, <laughs> former defensive line coach, well, still defensive, well, I guess, you know, former defensive line coach, what did, what did you think when that whole thing went down and Ed Orgeron got to take over? You know, I was hoping that he would have that chance to take over. I know that this opportunity means a lot to him, even if it's just, you know, it turns out to be an interim thing. Um, he really loves the university and loves what it stands for. And I think that he is one of the reasons why during that P. Carroll era, P. Carroll era where we were dominant, he played as you know just as big a role as anybody, not only in you know shaping a defensive line that became a staple of our teams, but you know responsible for getting and you know, swaying some of the more elite prospects 
to Comptar University. Um, you know, he knew what to say and he knew what not to say, but he identified with each guy individually. So to know the background of the role that he played and, you know, guys like Reggie and Lindell and myself and Cedric and, you know, guys before and after, you know, the role he played in getting us there, to have this opportunity, you know, and be a part of changing something around whatever length of, t- uh, of time it is, I know it means a lot to him. So, you know, I'm happy that he got the job. Uh, so you were a big, were you an Ed Orgeron fan before? Say that again? You were a fan of Ed Orgeron? You you liked him as a position coach and all that? Yeah, I, I love him. You know, coming in as a freshman, you know, many of us don't have, you know, the history of intense coaching. You know, we're prepared, but not as prepared as some of the guys from other schools. So for me, um, to have somebody like that who is that strong of a person and is as demanding on the little things, it was a change for me. So I had to get get used to that. But once I got more mature mentally, I realized that having a coach like this is just like having a star father. You know, you grow up, you know, hating some of the punishment that you look back and you're thankful, and I think that that's how you know Ed will always be remembered in my eyes. Um, and you were on the you know on the team when Lane Kiffin was around as well. Uh, what did you think about the job he was doing? I mean, obviously he did a great job in 2011, and not as good in 2012 or the beginning of 2013 when he got fired. Uh, what what did you think? What was your take on that whole situation? You know, I think Lane. You know that a year that he you know, had a great year. I think he inherited a lot of talent in some areas where he was able to take advantage of that. Um, you know, I like Lane. Lane is a different character. He, you know, rubs some people the wrong way, but, you know, there are parts of him that I enjoy. Uh, he may not be as social, sociable as, you know, most people, but he's an interesting guy. I think that um, on one hand, the, the cars that he was dealt, were tougher for him to overcome than he probably originally thought. The sanctions really played a, a big role in how the team was shaped. Uh, you know, practice and, and training camp is where you forge the personality of the team, and if you have to hold back because of injury and things like that, um, you don't really get to get as tough or as refined as possible. Um, you know, with the NFL experience that he had, he, you know, adapted it to more you know, something that resembles an NFL practice. And some of these guys, you know, were too young to really appreciate, you know, that that type of practice. But it was what they had to do. So I think that that, you know, played a role in what happened the last two years. I mean, of course, it was disappointing. We start, you know, preseason number one and then they fall out of the top 25 altogether. But I think it's the culmination of the, the sanctions. You bring up a good point with the, the NFL style and, um, that's what a lot of people said. I mean, the way he called plays with that huge play sheet was NFL style. And when Monty Kiffin brought in, uh, you know, when, when he came in, it was more of an NFL style. And it seemed like there was a lot of uh, teaching that would be like in meetings where in an NFL world, that's okay. Like you can tell grown men, here's what you have to do. But in college, it seems like more you have to be on the practice field doing it more than learning about it in meetings and stuff. And what did you see as far as differences there when you were a, a college player versus NFL? And have you seen that different coaching styles where it's the coaching style in the NFL doesn't always necessarily work in college just because of the age difference and the time difference? I think that when Pete came in, uh, he brought that NFL philosophy to the program in terms of um, how we met, uh, what we talked about in our meeting, how we processed information. And going out on the field, he was conscious of the time restrictions that we have. Uh, he required of us what an NFL team will require of us in certain mental aspects. So I think that, you know, it could work, and it did work. I think that there's a great onus on the players, um, you know, to respond. Um, and, you know, you have to be able to respond in football at any level. Um, you learn new things on the fly, new schemes in a day. Um, so I think what Pete did was good for a lot of us, um, going forward to the NFL, but I think that it can work. Um, I think that it didn't necessarily work out with uh, this past group of guys, but, you know, I don't necessarily think that that's always a reflection of the coach. I think players have responsibility in that as well. 
Was it a pretty big jump for you going, I mean, you were a first-round pick, but going from college to NFL, was there a lot of adjustments you just had to make with the different styles and what, what the responsibilities were for you? Uh, you know, for me it wasn't. Um, a lot of the teams at that time, uh, Seattle played the 4-3, you know, traditionally the way Pete played it in college. But um, I think that my role was a little bit different. Um, you know, being on a service team that year we played Michigan in the Rose Bowl, um, that was a huge learning year for me. I was going against Jacob Rogers and Winston Justice, guys who had, you know, elite collegiate talent. And then going against Sam Baker um, and other guys, it it was something where I was going against first and second round talent every day in practice my entire time there. So when I got to the NFL, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily overmatched or over, you know, over – over-skilled or out-talented in my individual position battles. And I think my senior year, having graduated early, it allowed me to treat that senior season as sort of a mock NFL season to where I was spending more time um, in the film room, studying the game uh, from a more mature uh, point of view. So when I got to the NFL, you know, I knew that I could do what would be required of me. Um, speaking of the NFL stuff, I wanted to kind of get – give people a, a little idea of what you kind of been doing your career after getting drafted at uh you, you played mostly at the two teams right at seattle and detroit and uh and currently right now uh you're a free agent but it, it was interesting because pete carroll came to seattle and you kind of were on your way out yeah when, when when pete came um the defense had switched he wanted to switch to what we had been playing in college the last two years that double three technique with the zero nose I mean, the two stand-up guys where he, you know, calls the Leo, um, he moved to that. So the personnel that we had worked, um, but I found that I was the only one that was over 260 and under 280. So I saw that, you know, that scheme wasn't necessarily a great fit for my skill set. Um, and I talked to Pete about that early in the offseason, and he, you know, he disagreed with me um, at that time. And, um, they wanted me to gain weight. I got up to about 275, and I was playing both the five technique where Red Bryan plays, who's 330, and then playing the, the, the Leo position where Chris Clemens and Cliff Abel, you know, where he plays. And he's a 250 guy that runs 4-5. Um, so I, I had to play both sides. And, you know, with each, it wasn't my, my skill set. And, um, you know, fortunately they allowed my agent – to see if teams were interested in, in making a deal. And Detroit came along, and it was the right price at the right time. And it was a good time for us to part ways. And, you know, he was he was cool about it. He's like, you know, I I apologize that I didn't see it earlier, but you were right. You know, this game isn't, you know, for you, and Detroit would give you a better chance to show, you know, what you got. So I think that that was a great, a great transition for me early in my career. Um, you know, so a lot of people would expect me to have hard feelings towards people, but if the situation worked out better for me as an individual. But, you know, when I got to Detroit, they already had a, a system established. Um, Jim Schwartz came from Tennessee, and Kyle Vanderbosch, he bought him on, you know, signed him up right as the clock hit 1201 or something like that. So they were heavily committed to him as a player and a leader. And then they, you know, wanted to see what Cliff had. The previous regime drafted him, and, you know, he's a fast guy. Um, and they gave him, a, you know, a, a tender, and then they franchised him. So you have two guys that they're committed to, you know, on multiple levels, and that was hard to break regardless of what skill set I provided um, or, you know, what I, I did on the field. And it, you know, it was just time for me to move on from Detroit, and I went to Minnesota to to see, you know, where I was really at as an athlete and to play in the NFL, and to also see Jared Allen firsthand, a great pass rusher. What made him different? Why was he getting sacks that I wasn't getting? You know, was it the speed? Was it the acceleration? Was it the flexibility? Was it the mindset? And I had to see what it was about. And you know, after seeing that, uh, I feel comfortable you know, the decision that I made to go to Minnesota because I learned more as a player, you know, about myself and about pass rushing for those circumstances than I did, you know, most of the time in the NFL. So he was the guy you were kind of – you wanted to pick his brain just because he's been so successful over the years. 
Yeah, I wanted to pick his brain, but oftentimes, you know, you you hear a great musician and you see him perform, but you don't get to see him practice. It's always like, geez, why is this guy so good? And I wanted to know why he was so good, what made him who he was. I, I got to see Calvin Johnson work hard every day, Reggie Bush, you know, but I, I wasn't necessarily blessed to play with elite defensive ends in, in the NFL. You know, Kearney was good. Vandenbosch was good, but neither one of them was on the level of Jared Allen in terms of sack production. So, you know, it was a great experience. I, at that time, my feelings was I would only leave Detroit for two places, you know, Minnesota and the Cowboys to see two of the great, great pass rushers in today's game. And, you know, I was lucky. And, you know, for me, it worked out. I didn't make the team, but for what I wanted out of it, you know, I got plenty. Um, so what's the, what do you think the next steps are, are for you right now? You're, you're an NFL free agent. I know you're, you, you like to do stuff off the field too. I mean, wh- where do you see yourself going in the next couple of years? Well, you know, I, a couple of years ago, I started working on a project trying to establish my foundation back in the city. Um, it was a joint program called Would You as an Inglewood University and a program called Reach for, um, you know, the non-athlete uh, students. And, um, you know, I feel like if the question becomes what what is my purpose going to be? How can I best use my talent? So there has to be a decision on, you know, as to, you know, is the NFL route something that I need to pursue anymore? Is it time to, to change gears and give back to my community and help other kids, both athletes and non-athletes, make it out by, you know, enforcing and establishing a, a, a system of thought of how to approach life and, you know, the perspective that you have to have and, you know, the discipline and the toughness that it takes to, to succeed. And um, I also am looking forward into, um, you know, getting involved with radio. I, I really like it. There's a, a bunch of shows that I like. And I think that that would be a good use of my uh, of my intellectual ability. But outside of those two things, I'm enjoying, you know, getting to, to know myself more and find, you know, a latching on to the things that I've been searching for, um, ways to express my passion or express my viewpoint on life. And, I, you know, I'm in love with photography was a great love of mine partially over football. And to be able to devote time to that and experience that has also helped me connect with other aspects of my life that I was searching for, enjoying being outdoors and, and, and traveling and things like that. And I enjoy reading. Um, I just actually went on a magazine shopping spree where I bought like 10 magazines and I can't wait to dive into, you know, all of them over the next month. So, I mean, I'm having a great time in life. No complaints. Awesome. Well, Lawrence, it's always cool to, to catch up with you again. And, you know, we'd love to have you on the program. You can you know, tune up your radio, uh, <laughs> future radio gigs here on the podcast. If you'd like, we, we'd always enjoy having you on. It's great to see a well-rounded guy. Certainly you were always more than just a football player. So we, we wish you the best of luck in whatever uh, road, wherever the road takes you. Thank you, and I'm going to literally take you up on that offer. Awesome. Okay, literally do that. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have you on. We can't have like these quarterbacks talking all the time. We need to have, we need to have some defensive guys, and you're definitely one of the best. Yeah, <laughs> you need to get that different perspective. Yes, for sure. We, you, the quarterbacks are the pretty boys sitting there. You guys go out and, and pound them into the ground. Which is, <laughs> we'll have to exactly. maybe get you on the same time. We can have you guys talk to each other. That'd be good. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, Lawrence Jackson, thanks again. And everyone else, thanks very much for tuning in to the Armchair Quarterback Podcast. We'll be back again next week with another show following the USC Cal game.